0: Do whatever you want. Just, just be careful. Just be careful. There we go. Good morning. Good morning. How's, how's everybody doing? Thank you for praying, Diane. So we're in week four of our series on the names of God, and uh, it's been a stretch for me in preparing for uh, these uh, these messages because I, I the learning curve even for me. Uh, has been steeper than you know, maybe some other passages or other topics that we've dealt with. Uh, personally, I, I've, I've enjoyed digging into these names and kind of where, um, where we first see um, these different names of God mentioned in Scripture. And I don't know about you, but um, ha, have you picked up on some of the common themes uh, each week as we've introduced the names uh, that we've looked at weekly? Uh, f- for me... Uh, the biggest takeaway is simply this. Um, whether it is God himself revealing a name, the self-revealing name of God, or whether it's somebody who has an experience that causes them to uh, begin to ascribe a name to God and for God based on what they were experiencing, um, the context of all of them have been things aren't going well. Things aren't going really good. And God reveals something about himself, a name that, 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 um, that is connected to his character. Somebody is having an experience, and it's not going well, but God shows up. He does something tremendous in their life, and they, because of that, that experience, ascribe a name to God. Let me, again, just for sake of review, go back to what we're, what we're talking about. Think about it. When Moses doubted his calling in his life, that was when Yahweh showed up. I am who I am. And Yahweh spoke words to instill confidence in Moses' calling that led him to eventually lead Israel out of bondage. When Abraham went into battle to rescue his nephew Lot, and he had the encounter, remember, a few weeks ago with the priest Melchizedek, it was Melchizedek who reminded him that, that El Elyon, God Most High, is in control of every circumstance in life. When Abraham was weary and tired of waiting for the son that God had promised to come, it was, it was El Shaddai, God Almighty, who reminded Abraham that he hadn't changed his mind and would see things through according to his time frame, not Abraham's. After Isaac was born and Abraham was then asked to lay Isaac down on an altar of sacrifice, when, when Yahweh provided that ram caught in the thicket and, and stayed Abraham's hand, it was there that Abraham proclaimed that Yahweh-Jireh, God is the one who provides. A good reminder to us today that he is Yahweh-Jireh. And last week, if you remember, after crossing the Red Sea miraculously and finding themselves at the, the bitter waters of Marah, where God's people, remember, turned against Moses, God showed up and reminded uh, Moses that he alone is Yahweh Rapha, the God who heals. And he alone can take the bitter moments of life and make them sweet. That, that, that's when God shows up. That's when God reveals himself. That's when people experience God in new and different ways. It's usually when things aren't going well. And how many of you would, would agree you've been following Jesus long enough that your most significant growth moments and seasons of change and transformation in your life have happened when the circumstances of life aren't going well? That's when God tends to do his greatest work Of transformation, why does all this matter? Why do these names matter? Why why is it important for us to study the names of God? Well, the psalmist wrote this in Psalm nine, verse ten. He said, "And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you." You know, as your pastor, I I want you to trust God more, because I know this: that the more you trust Him the more you will be able to see him for who he is and seek him according to his names. I want you to know the names of God so that you can, great, great in a greater way, deeper depths, be able to put your trust, to put your hope in the God, Yahweh. This morning, we're going to look at two more names. Two more names. El-Rai and El-Olam. And we're going to look again at the stories where these names are first mentioned. And we're going to, again, talk about some familiar characters that we've already used and turned to in this series. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 16. If you need a Bible, grab one on your way out. We have Bibles for you. And if uh, you don't have a phone that has a Bible app, the verses will be up on the screen. We're going to talk about El-Ra'i first. And we're going to do it in the context of, of Abraham and Sarah. Now, we, we talk a lot about Abraham and Sarah and their desire for a child, the promise that God made to Abraham, but then the, the, the consequential years and years and years of waiting for Isaac to come. We know that part of their story is they got impatient and decided to help God out by devising this plan for Abraham to go in and sleep with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. It's never a good idea, really, to try to help God out. And when we talk about this part of the narrative, about the story, we, um, we mention Hagar, but we don't focus on her. But for a few minutes, I want us to do that. I want to look at her story because she actually gives God a name that I think can give us hope and encouragement today. Again, reminder what happened. She, she is given to Abraham so that Abraham could sleep with her, bear a child because they had grown impatient with God's timing. Now, again, when, when that happened, let's, let's call it what it was. She was, a, she was a victim of assault. Now, now in that culture in those days, it wouldn't have been described that way because as a slave, she would have had no rights or, or opinions. She wouldn't have had a choice in the matter. But, but looking at it through kind of our context, she, she was a victim of assault. She had to endure as a result of what happened being mistreated by Sarah. She was mistreated verbally. Uh, She was was held in contempt. She, again, goes along with the plan, even though she didn't want to. The Bible talks about the fact that after she became pregnant, that that Sarah harassed her endlessly. You, You know, the truth of the matter is, from Sarah's perspective, anger, jealousy, the pain that Sarah had experienced, right, would would, would cause her to, to lash out to Hagar. So it, it makes sense that she would be frustrated when she would see Hagar, her maid, now pregnant with a child from her husband. So if we read the story in Genesis, uh, Genesis 16, we read that Hagar, after becoming pregnant, after being uh, harassed, and, and, and abused, and taken advantage of, uh, the pain was so much that the Bible says that she just fled. She just ran. She just got out of town. And she quickly found herself alone, defenseless, without shelter, without any sustenance. And oh, by the way, she was pregnant. I think it's safe to say that she would have felt scared, lonely, and unloved. And that would have been an understatement. I can't help but wonder if if in her humanity, her thoughts began to turn toward despair, wondering if there was anybody who cared about her or her unborn baby. And with that, let's pick up reading in Genesis 16. Starting in verse 7, again, Hagar has fled from the safety of Abraham and Sarah's home. Verse 7 says this, that the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord is usually in the Old Testament a reference to a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. Jesus often would show up as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her, which would not have made sense, and we won't get into all of the, uh, the, the details of that, but, but she did. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction." He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hands against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. He was, the, again, not the son of promise, but, but Ishmael, his lineage was going to be great. It was going to extend, but there was going to come conflict, and we know if you understand human history, uh, the lineage of Ishmael, because of that lineage, there has been lots of conflict in in our history. And then she says in verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, El Roy, or El Ra'i. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. Let me just stop right there. Elroy means the God who sees. The God who sees. Th- this is what she felt in that moment as she ran and was, was hiding and, and, and feeling this hopelessness and despair. The angel of the Lord shows up and she, she senses, he sees me. He, he hasn't forgotten me. And, and this morning, as we think about this, this name, let me ask you a question. C- can you relate to Hagar? I mean, I, I, maybe not the specifics of her situation, right? I, no, no, nobody is experiencing the exact situation that Hagar experienced, but, but to the emotions that she experienced. The, the, the emotion that comes with betrayal, abuse, abuse, Fear, loneliness, confusion, the, the, the feeling of, of being unloved. And that might show up any number of ways. Maybe, maybe your husband has abandoned you and your children. Maybe, maybe you've lost your job and are now afraid of your future. Maybe, and again, because I love you, I'll say this, but I say this with all of the gentleness that I can possibly communicate but maybe your story is a story of of parents who neglected or maybe even abused you. Maybe it's something as what may seem trivial, but it's not to you. Your employer overlooking you and the hard work that you do. Maybe it's a friend who has walked away or abused you or hurt you. And maybe, maybe you've wondered like Hagar, when she found herself alone in the desert, does anyone care about me? Does anyone know what I'm going through? And maybe you've wondered if God even cares and you've cried out, God, do you see all of this? God, do you see all of all that I deal with day in and day out, do you see my past? Do you see my present? Do you understand how bad it is? And this morning, church family, the answer to these honest, these hard questions that you might have, just like I'm sure Hagar had, is simply this yes. Yes, he does. Why? Because he's El Roy. God sees you. God sees you. Let me say it one more time because some of you need to be convinced a little bit more. God sees you. And even though you may have wondered and are still perhaps wondering, out of all of the billions of people in this world, Does God even know that I exist? The answer is yes. Could could he single you out as an individual? Or are you just part of this this mass of humanity? Please know this morning that God knows you. God sees you. As an individual, as a person, you are known by El-Rai. He knows the very number of hairs on your head. We read that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. Your worth is, is, more, is worth more than the sparrows in the sky. Luke 12, 7. He knows you intimately. He saw you when you were formed in your mother's womb. Psalm 139. He knows you. He's acquainted with your circumstances. He knows your situation. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, the fact that he is El Royi tells me that he sees your situation. He, he is not blind to your circumstances. Your situation has not taken him by surprise, although it may have taken you by surprise. That phone call, that letter, that email, that news from that doctor. You may have been taken by surprise, but it didn't take him by surprise. Why? Because he is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He sees exactly what is happening to you and to me, and to me in every second of the day. The good and the bad, your situation, I want you to know, is always before him. Your situation isn't hidden around a corner. It's not in another room where he can't can't see it. He sees everything. Elroy means not just that he sees your situation, but he also sees your need. He sees your need in that situation. Not just what's going on, but what you need in that circumstance. I love the fact that it says that in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her found her. He, he went looking for Hagar. He came to her in that moment and arrived at the time of her greatest needs. At that moment, her greatest need was to be reassured. She needed the reassurance that she was loved and that she was not forgotten and that she and her unborn child would be cared for and again this morning if you're you're here and and again not the specifics of hagar's story but the but the emotion that is connected to hagar you identify with that please just know this know that god sees you he hears you he he sees you in your weariness he sees you in your pain he sees you in your confusion he sees you in your suffering God sees you when you feel abandoned and think that no one cares about you. Why? Because He is the God who sees. He is El Ra'i. But the beautiful truth is that God is El Ra'i, the God who sees. We can take it even further. Well, how do you do that? Well, we do that by looking at the next name, El Olam. Because this speaks to the who of the who God sees. El Olam means everlasting God. Or in some cases, it's translated eternal God. When you were a kid, or maybe you do this as an adult, did you ever just try to think about forever? Like like lay on your bed and like, what is forever even? Going, what does that even mean? That I'm going to live forever? That that eternity is forever? Like we 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 have moments in our life, and when, when we when we use or think about you know something being forever, right? You're watching a chick flick with your wife because you love her, and you're thinking to this to yourself, "Is this movie ever going to end?" It's gonna go on. It feels like it's going on forever. And conversely, gals, when you watch, you know, another Marvel, you know, movie that usually tend to go on forever, uh, you're thinking often to yourself, "Is this movie gonna go on forever?" Right? We, we, have, we have good experiences with that. We have bad experiences. You, you could be out on a date or having an, a vacation or having a, a wonderful time with your, with, your, with your bride or with your husband or with that significant person in your life, and, and you begin to think to yourself, I wish this could last. I, I just wish this moment would last forever. But here's the thing. Whether it's a movie or, ex, or an experience, in this world, everything that we do has a start and an end, start and stop, beginning and end. It may feel like you, you're sitting in the dentist chair forever. It may feel like you're waiting in the ER forever, but it's not forever. There's a beginning and there's an end. And so we get to this, this, this name for God, El Olam, forever. You know what forever it is? What forever is? Forever is a mighty long time. And I'm here to tell you, there's something else. Come on now. I worked on that one. Nobody? The afterworld. Thank you, Amy. Those of you who grew up in the 80s, you would know that I just quoted Prince to you. You're welcome. All right. so um, anyway moving right along we're going to look in Genesis 21 where this name El Olam comes up for the first time and it's an encounter between a guy named Abimelech and here's another familiar character here's Abraham again if you study through Abraham's life there's a lot of names that come up with and, and through as a part of his story Who is Abimelech? Abimelech is a king in an area called Gerar. And if you turn back in your Bible a couple of pages to Genesis 20, it was was Abimelech who Abraham lied to and said that Sarah was his wife or was his sister and not his wife. And so Abimelech then took her to be his wife before being struck with an illness and being told, wait a minute, this is not your sister, it's your wife. What in the world are you doing to me? Right, And so he gives Abraham uh, back his wife, and not just his wife, but, but he gives him gifts, and he gives him servants and silver, and then he also gives Abraham some land where Abraham has now settled, this is where, where Abraham is beginning to settle. And then in Genesis 21, at the beginning of Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Isaac is now a part of the story. And so as you read down through, uh, through Genesis 21, Abimelech must have heard about, must have known that Isaac was born. And it becomes a, a moment of like realization to Abimelech because he realized how much God, was with Abraham, how much he was blessing him, and now it includes this, this miraculous birth of a son named Isaac, and so Abimelech sets aside any kind of like lingering anger or resentment, and he goes to Abraham, and he wants to form this this alliance. And I'm going to, I don't think we have that, but if, if you guys want to jump in with uh, Genesis 21, I'm going to start, I'm going to go ahead and read this story because it's really kind of an, an interesting story in verse 22. Verse 22, and I'm going to read the whole story uh, just because it's interesting. It says, at that time, Genesis 21, at that time, Abimelech in Fekhol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham. They, they make their way to Abraham. Uh, Abraham might be holding Isaac, or he might be a toddler at this time. The bottom line is Isaac is a part of the picture. And he says, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. Hey, let, let's bury the hatchet, Abraham. Let, let's let's form an alliance. Let's agree to be friends, and and let's put the past in the past. It's clear to me. I'm not. I don't want to oppose you. God is with you. And so, in verse twenty four, Abraham says, "I will swear." And right, this, this is kind of an interesting piece. This is when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servant had seized. Again, um, again, we don't know all the details of this, but apparently, um, when Abimelech gave Abraham some land, that land had some wells on it, and apparently, Abimelech, one of Abimelech's. Uh, army or somebody from, from his, his, his area uh, went and seized and took over the well. It's like, hey, um, uh, we do need to deal with this well situation because that well is on my land that you gave me and now somebody's coming uh, come from your land and is trying to seize it. So in verse 20, 26, Abimelech says, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham said, set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And this is like, well, this is weird. Why are are you giving me lambs? What's the deal? So Abraham, or verse 29, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe's that you have set apart? Why are you giving me these, these lambs? And so Abraham responds, these seven new lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Hey, I'm giving this to you because this signifies that you believe me when I say that the well belongs to me. Your guys have come and seized it. You're going to make them give it back, and I'm going to give those lambs to you in good faith because I want you to know that I truly did dig the well. And Bim looks like, sounds good to me. We agree. I'm going to take my, my guys and get out of, get out of your well, okay? Third, verse 31, therefore that place was called Beersheba because, they're both, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. So now here's, here's, here's where we get to, to this name. It says that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, El Olam. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This word, Olam, means for a long time, always forever. So El Olam reveals God as a God without beginning. And the God without end. Which then begs the question: why would why would Abraham use the name El Olam here? Remember, before Abimelech, but the encounter that he had with Abimelech, that Sarah had given birth to Isaac, the, the son God had promised. And, and maybe in this moment, as as Abimelech and and, and Fikol, whatever is how you pronounce his name, they're leaving. That, that, that Abraham is just left kind of reflecting and thinking. He's now in the land that was promised to him. He's got his son, and he's thinking backwards in time of, of all that he had experienced, all that he had gone through, and he concludes that God is an everlasting God, that God is a God who keeps his promises. He calls him El Olam. Everlasting from end to end, beginning to end. He is eternal. And what about the tamarisk tree? Well, a tamarisk tree is an evergreen tree, so it's perpetually green, and it's known to produce 500,000 seeds per plant per year. Again, just that that imagery of multiplying, of, of spreading. And again, maybe it was he did that as kind of this symbolic reminder of the fact that now God is going to bless and multiply his descendants. And so when people would see that tamarisk tamarisk tree that that lasts, uh, again, just doing a little bit of research, they can last for up to 100 years. It was a reminder to Abraham and to everybody who saw it that God, again, was going to multiply his family Something else about this word olam. And again, without going into it too much, but, but Hebrew scribes uh, in, the, the, in the way that the word olam is written would often uh, take just one small symbol and, and change it and turn the meaning from eternal or everlasting and with just one small change, for us it would be like making an I and E and changing the word altogether. But they would just take one small symbol and now it wasn't olam, it would be like olam. And, and now it doesn't mean forever or everlasting, it would mean hidden. And they would often do that as kind of this play on words to remind, uh, again, the readers that, ol, el, that el olam, the, the eternal forever God, There's also El Olam, he's hidden, he's a mystery that we can't completely figure him out. And and I think it's important for us to understand that when it comes to Yahweh, when it comes to the God that we worship, the, the fact that he is El Olam is a little bit of an Olam, it's a mystery. We can't possibly fathom it. We can't possibly how... Possibly understand how God, who is and will always be, has also forever been. We, 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 don't, we can't fathom that. And, and biblical authors came to know that this is who God is, and they tried to express this idea of El Olam. Authors like Moses in Psalm 90 verses 1 and 2. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. It'll be up on the screen, but I just want to read it from my Bible here. This is a Psalm of Moses. He said, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. And listen to what he says. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, from olam to olam, you are God. You are Elohim. You have no beginning. You have no end. David, again, in one of his psalms, Psalm 103, verses 13 through 19, listen to what, what he, how he tries to express this idea of God being eternal, God being everlasting. He says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him for he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust as for man his days are like grass he flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more we're here today gone tomorrow but the steadfast love of the lord the hased of the lord is from everlasting to everlasting Olam to Olam on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remembered, and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom rules over all. You, you, you understand, again, and, and, and just different ways to think about God is to, to picture that, that he exists outside of time. He, he doesn't exist on our timeline. He exists outside of time. It's like, for the lack of a better way to explain it, like when you have your phone and you're watching YouTube, you're, you're existing outside of that video. You're watching the video outside of the video. Make sense? That, that's that's who God is, like in reality and in all time. like He exists outside of time. Isaiah had something to say about this, this as well. And I wish we had time to walk through all of Isaiah 40. But as you, as, you let, as you hit Isaiah 40 and get down to verse 28, Isaiah says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the El Olam, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. This is who he is. And I think there's great comfort in knowing and understanding that our God is everlasting. His character was the same at the beginning of creation as it is now. And it will always be what it's always been, from everlasting to everlasting. Therefore, God says, "I change not." when we talk about Jesus. The, 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 the author of Hebrew says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, we live in a world where, man, it seems like everything is shifting. Culture is shifting in so many directions. And, and, and it feels like even inside the church, we think that somehow that God is on some kind of a sliding curve or sliding scale that Uh, somehow God looks at different cultures and he sticks his finger up and says, okay, which way is the wind of culture blowing? And I need to change with culture. Listen, that's not our God. That may be the God that you've created in your mind, the Build-A-Bear God. I want my God to be more sensitive to this or more understanding of that or or more lenient here or or less judgmental there or more this or less that. Listen, God who is everlasting, he is El Olam. He doesn't change. Who he was in the beginning is who he is now. It's who he's gonna be 100 years from now. It's who he's gonna be 1,000 years from now. It's who he's gonna be a million years from now. And, And I'm sorry if there are times when culture doesn't like who God is, but God's not changing. He is who He is. He's El Olam from everlasting to everlasting. And, and we can take that idea and lay it across a ton of, of different buzzy topics that I'm not going to do today because I want to focus on El Olam. He doesn't change, He doesn't change. And that should give us great comfort. He is sovereign. There's one more psalm that I want us to read. And when you read the psalms, often there's little headings, there's titles that tell you who, who wrote the psalm. A lot of them are written by, by David. Some are written by, by Moses. Others are written by, uh, 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 by Solomon. Some, by, some written by somebody named Asaph, But then occasionally, there is an unattributed psalm. Psalm 102, and again, I tried to kind of poke around a little bit to say, okay, who wrote this? Well, at the end of the day, nobody really knows because it doesn't say who wrote it. But there's this description at the beginning of Psalm 102, and if you have your Bible, look at what it says right under where it says Psalm 102. Does yours say something like this? the prayer of one afflicted it, it, Psalm 102 is a prayer of one who has gone through or is going through some type of problem some type of affliction some type of an issue that has led them maybe to think like Hagar thought does anybody care does anybody see me does anybody know me does anybody does anybody give a rip about what's going on in my life because i feel very afflicted right now Psalm 102, this, this prayer of one afflicted, gets to verse 25, and listen to what they declare about God. They, they say of God, of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and if he laid the foundation of the earth, what does that tell you? He was there before the earth. So he existed prior to the earth. Of you, of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Again, he speaks, uh, the psalmist is speaking of this eternal existence of God. You were there at the beginning, and you're gonna be there at the end. You, you are eternal. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The only hope that this psalmist had in their affliction was to let their mind run to and dwell on and find security and safety in the everlasting God, El Olam, who is there at the beginning and he will be there at the end. He exists outside of time and space and he sees you because he's also El Roy. This rope here, maybe you are just now noticing there's a rope up here. Listen, I can't possibly purchase an infinite amount of rope, but let's just let this rope be a reminder of eternity and the everlastingness of God. And before time began to infinity, God always was. And that's, like, how how do you possibly understand that but that's God that's El Olam he has always been and then he spoke everything into existence and this this orange piece here this is a picture of all all of human history all of human history right and God existed before that he spoke this into existence, yet he exists outside of it. He's not on the timeline of human history. He's not experiencing human history as we experience it. Nothing is taking him by surprise. He stands outside of it, above it, over it. He's, he, is, he is El Olam. He's everlasting. But here he is, outside of time, human history and he will forever be. And again, we, we might understand this a little bit because we think about the fact that those of us who are followers of Jesus, we get the good stuff. We get to be with El Olam forever. We get eternity with him, forever with him. We, we, we have a hard time fathoming and understanding this. But here's what I want to say. Some of us, are in one sliver, one slice, one itty-bitty little piece of human history. And we have forgotten that he is El-Ra'i and that he is El-Olam, that he sees you right in this little itty-bitty slice of human history. He sees you. He sees you. He knows your circumstances. He knows your need. He cares about what's going on in your life, your marriage, your health, your mind, your conflicts, your fill in the blanks. He sees everything. And he's El Olam. Everlasting to everlasting. And when we understand the connection between those two things, that He sees me right where I'm at, yet He is so much bigger than we could ever fathom, we could ever imagine. I hope that that reality gives you hope, it gives you confidence, it gives you assurance. If I could say my, if I could preach the message in a sentence, it's simply this: the God who sees you will always be who He's always been. He'll always be who He has always been, and who He has always been is Yahweh, El Elyon, El Shaddai, Yahweh Jirah, Yahweh Rapha. El-ra'i. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our surrender. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of everything that we think that we we want to hold back. He's worth saying, no, I'm gonna give this to you because I believe that you are who you say you are. You've always been that, that God, you are that God, and you'll always be that God. So, as the worship team comes, what do you need from El Ra'i? What, what do you need from El Olam? What do you need to express to him? What do you need to confess to him? What do you need to cry out to him for? hope I've demonstrated that he's worth all of those things. Trusting, trying out to, surrendering. This morning, what would El Elam speak into your life about what you're going through? What, what do you need to hear him say about your suffering, about your loneliness, about your pain, what do you need to be reminded of that El El, Roy, I, El sees in your life? I, I want I want us to I want us to worship God as we as we wrap it up and and again I, you guys I, I say this and I I don't feel like I need to, to to say this often I just I'm gonna say it again. Look, I, I don't want to guilt anybody into doing anything. Guilt is not my motive but I do want to motivate you to respond to what God's word and his spirit has said to you. And so as we sing, I wanna encourage you to just respond. And it, looks, it might look different depending on where you're at in your life. It might look like you just sitting instead of standing to sing so that you can worship, cry out, surrender, talk to El Rai, El Alam. It might be to tap your friend on the shoulder and say, hey, can we go together and pray? It might be coming, tapping me on the shoulder and say, Pastor Trent, would you pray with me about something? But, but what I don't want from us as a church family ever is for us to go, oh, that was interesting. Or, oh, that was long. Or, oh, like I want, I want the word of God and the spirit of God to change us. So how does he want to change you today? Let him let him do what he wants to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word, to learn and grow together. And I pray that, God, the reality of who you are would, would transform all of us so that we can put more of our hope, more of our trust, more of us... Uh, you know, onto who, who you are. Thank you for revealing yourself in new ways uh, to us. Use this time to, again, change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. If you're a, a discipleship group leader and you want to come down here and just be in the front just to be ready to pray with maybe somebody in your D group, that'd be great. If you just feel like you just want to come and pray, that'd be great. So just, as God's calling you, just let's, let's respond.
1: cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his bones his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree i